I, of course, want to provide you with witty and biblical commentary on what's happening in the world around you, but I have to confess this. I think I just figured out what NFTs and cryptocurrencies are. I'm going to start there on the Court Act Show. After a few years of basically pretending to understand cryptocurrency and then a couple more years of sort of getting it, I think I just had a breakthrough and it has worldview implications. I will tell you about it in just a second. Welcome to His Radio Talk. If you are listening to me on Saturday mornings live or Saturday evenings, we are on both 8 o'clock hours on Saturdays or wherever you find the podcast. Thank you for listening. I am glad you're here. Amongst many other things, I get to serve. It's a real pleasure, really to serve the people of Beachwood Church as the pastor for teaching. I'll be preaching Easter, by the way. I would uh, covet your prayers on this. You know, there's there's pressure on Easter. It's undue. There shouldn't be pressure on Easter because every Sunday is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Every Sunday is the gathering of the saints. this, This date on the calendar isn't more special than the others. But here's what I mean by pressure. Because you want to think of it as different, there's a couple genres of Easter sermon. One is the apologetic sermon, so you prove the resurrection happened. One is the retelling of the story, right? You, you just go through the, the Passion Week, maybe, and you, maybe you highlight one part of it. And then there is churches a lot like ours who don't treat it any differently. Like, like we might do something different around the day, but in the sermon time, you just keep moving on to the next text you're going to do, And I haven't decided which one I want to do yet, so your prayers are coveted. I'm prepared for all three, but I don't know which one is going to come out of my... um, Which one I'll take to church with me that day. All right, let's do this thing. It all started with a story about the Kings of Leon. That's a band I sort of like. They had a great single back in the day called Use Somebody. I'm a huge fan, at least, of that era of alternative rock, and I liked the Kings of Leon. And I saw a story that they were releasing this this last album they put out a few weeks ago, as something called an NFT, a non-fungible token. And I had been seeing that language recently, let's say the last year. I've seen YouTube clips of celebrities talking about their NFTs, and I I wasn't curious enough to go do the deep dive on what a non-fungible token is and what function it might play in anyone's life. But because of the Kings Kings of Leon thing... I realized this is this is something I should probably figure out if very large bands are using it to release music. As in, we're not putting it out on Spotify or Pandora or Apple Music. You, you can't purchase, I know this sounds old, a CD, but you can have an NFT, a non-fungible token of our album. And so... If that's something that's going to grow, I'm going to need to figure this out. I also had this thought. When the, the tech revolution of the mid-90s and early 2000s hit, the church got caught flat-footed. A new world was created out right underneath the church in the West, at least, uh, was created right underneath them, and they didn't know the world was changing. And so Christians came to the Internet later as content creators and influencers— and the Christians that got there first, if you re- recall from the rise and fall of the Mars, of Mars Hill podcast, the Christians that got there first were not of theological rigor. And so if we have a new 
technological revolution taking place online, it's important that we as believers and those that have theological rigor and are very serious about taking the, the, the Bible into every part of the culture and economy, then we're going to need to know how this works and what it is. I, I tell you, this is what occurred to me. I don't want to get caught flat-footed again on new technology and sound like Bryant Gumbel and Katie Couric did back in 1994 when they were talking about the at symbol and the internet. Remember this? Back now at 56 Pass, I wasn't prepared to translate that as I was doing that little tease. Oh, that's that right. little mark with the A and then the ring around it. At? See, that's what I said. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie said she thought it was about. Yeah. Oh. But I'd never heard it. I'd never heard it said. I'd always seen the mark, but never heard it said. And then it sounded stupid when I said it. Violence at NBC. Uh, (laughs) I heard something big up in the lunchroom the other week. (laughs) There it is. Violence at NBC. GE com. I mean, what Allison should know. What what is internet anyway? Internet is uh, that massive computer network. Mm -hmm. The one that's becoming really big now. What do you mean? That's big. How does one? What do you write to it like mail? No, a lot of people use it and communicate. With, I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what internet is? No, she can't say anything in ten seconds or less. Oh, oh. Allison will be in the studio shortly. What is- can you explain what internet is? It on the screen there when he was saying violence at NBC G uh, G E com. There were, as we would say, dots or periods in between all of those. So it should have been violence at uh, NBC.GE.com. I don't want to be that. You know, I, th- I thought of another one of those. If you remember this from Bill Gates and Bill, excuse me, that is Bill Gates and David Letterman from early 1995. But, but you know, I think about this. And, and what about this Internet thing? Do you, do you know anything about that? Sure. What, what the hell is that exactly? Well, it's, it's become a place where people are publishing information. Right. So you, everybody can have their own homepage. Companies are there, the latest information. It's wild what's going on. You can send electronic mail to people. Uh, it is the big new thing. Yeah, but you know, uh, it's easy to criticize something you don't fully understand, which is my position here. Go ahead. But I, I can remember a couple of months ago, there was like a big breakthrough announcement <laughs> that on the Internet or on some computer deal, they were going to broadcast a baseball game. You could listen to a baseball game on your computer. And I just thought to myself, does radio ring a bell? <laughs> they were making fun of it. And again, that, that was the secular world and the Christians were five years behind. Actually, I, I recall, I, I don't think we, we would have been an internet family if my big brother wouldn't have driven that forward. He was into that stuff early. Actually, I think he had a giant heavy gateway computer in his room and that was the computer in the house and none of us really knew anything else about it and so I don't want to get caught that way again on this NFT uh, non-fungible token cryptocurrencies so here I go with my shortest and most simple explanation because I think I finally figured it out all right there's an an invention in the last decade or so called blockchain blockchain is a open ledger of transactions so that if someone has let's call it a bitcoin that bitcoin has its identifiers it's let's just call it a its code number so we know that that bitcoin belongs to this user and that bitcoin was used by this user to make this purchase or to or, or transferred to this other 
this other uh, cryptocurrency like Ethereum. It happened at this point, at this time, and we have it. Here's the record. Here's the receipt, and everybody can see it. So this And this blockchain is apparently unhackable. It can't be manipulated. And so we all have one large ledger on which to transact things. So if we don't want to deal with governments, uh, and I want to use my, I want to get my dollars into Bitcoin, and I'm trying to do business with somebody who wants to get their pound sterling uh, out of the British, uh, the British economy and move it into this this online world, then we can exchange Bitcoin for to each other for other for other things, uh, and so you have a an international currency and a digital currency. It's it's also one that it it has a a more steady value because we're not making any more Bitcoin or your your Ethereum. There's the the set amount in in uh, in let's go with in circulation, and so therefore you have a more stable uh, currency. So blockchain is the key to this all. Blockchain is the ledger that is public that we can all see and keep everything straight. Cryptocurrency gets traded using that blockchain so that we have all the records. And then come along NFTs, non-fungible tokens. So you think about a dollar or a Bitcoin, you think about some piece of currency, it's fungible or it's spendable, it's exchangeable. That's what that word fungible means. So instead of having a fungible asset, like a dollar or a Bitcoin, some people get to have non-fungible tokens. Here in the physical space, that might be the Mona Lisa. There are untold hundreds of thousands of replicas of that Mona Lisa around the world, but we know the one. We have verified that this is the true one. It's, it's things in the real world like gold bars. There's only so much gold in the world. We're still mining for it. And there's only so many that have been made gold bars, and we put serial numbers on those thing and things. And so when you own rare art, you own a collectible, for that matter, we can be as frivolous if you want as a Beanie Baby or some of those other trendy things. You have this one. You hold this token that is unique, and you, you want certified that you've got the real one, and the rest that are out there are copies. Well, now we live in a digital world. And we want to know that our digital belongings are also rare, are also the, the one and only. It hasn't been copied and pasted. And so you're seeing it done with silly things to make the point. People will make some clip art or uh, so, some just random picture on the internet that you can just go get and copy and paste a million times over. And they will purchase, this person will purchase the NFT of that. They'll purchase the original one. And we'll know that they have the original one because it's on the blockchain. They have purchased that image. Now, again, we're doing it with frivolous things. They're, they don't come of much value. But that's what brings me back to Kings of Leon. So Kings of Leon wants you to know, you don't have a copy of my music and a copy of the, they actually put some visual things in there too, some videos and things when you buy it. You don't have a copy that I gave to Spotify who gave it to you. You don't have a copy that I gave to Apple who gave it to you. You got it from me. And apparently they're making them all somewhat unique or maybe packages of like a thousand of them each or something. They have a unique thing to them. You got it directly from us. Now it has all kinds of implications, I think, specifically about artists there. You know, there for years, 
they were often in the industry called the gatekeepers. And the gatekeepers decided who got to be on radio. And the gatekeepers really got to, to decide whose first uh, albums, then eight tracks, then tapes, and then CDs would get pushed into the record stores. There were powerful people that decided what was going to be popular and what wasn't. We've already democratized that world just through the internet period, but there was still this issue of delivery systems. Where do we all go to buy the music, to buy the movies we want? Well, we got to go to giant corporations like Spotify, or we have to go to a giant movie studio like Paramount, and that's our method of getting it. Well, now creators through blockchain are saying, we don't want them anymore. We want to go directly to you, the consumer, directly to you, the fan of our music or movie or experience or whatever it is. And so now through that blockchain, they're able to create something uniquely digital and you have the, the value of it. I, I, came up with this, I came up with this illustration. A couple years ago, I got to go to uh, what was the, the pro football experience in New York City. It was right in... Uh, right in Times Square, it was incredible. I spent hours there. Just, I, I love the NFL as a matter of entertainment, and I, I just had a great experience there. But I remember one of the exhibits was real game tickets from every Super Bowl so that you could see what the ticket looked like, and it's certified. Now, get get the, the picture there. They're, they are rare. There's only so many of those printed, and they have one from every Super Bowl. Well, as we continue down this world of everything being digital – I mean, I, for every event I've been to in the last couple of years, my ticket's on my phone, and I let someone scan it. And if some memorabilia collector in the future wants to have the ticket to the, the Jim Gaffigan show I went to because he, he was collecting tickets from that tour, well, I can have it because it's on the blockchain, and I can prove that mine is the real one. And, his, and so here you go. Let's exchange some Bitcoin for it, and we'll, we'll mark that on the blockchain too. Okay. I say all of that because of my original points. It's, it's a thing happening in the world. We should understand it. And while it is frivolous seeming at the moment, I think we're only going to live more into it. Like our kids, my, my two nephews, are going to probably exchange cryptocurrencies for NFTs 20 years from now as a very normal part of life. And I don't know yet all of the script, like not scriptural, but let's go with spiritual implications to people's lives. But it's, let's at least know what it is, like we didn't quite get the internet at first, so that when opportunities arrive, we have at least the tools to respond to the opportunity. When we come back, I actually have one more point I want to make about the change in the internet over the last 20 years. Well, something Bill Gates said in that clip made me remember something. We'll do that and a lot more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Over that break, it did occur to me there are more deep implications, maybe some spiritual thinking around this blockchain, cryptos, NFT stuff. I maybe shouldn't just give you the facts and say we should be ready. And so I, I did jot down a couple quick thoughts of of implication I want to go through quickly together. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for my very weird name and you will find me there at Corey Truax. And you can email the show at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Here 
is the question I began to ask myself. We have this thing that's happening, uh, this, uh, this occurrence, this evolution, and how folks are thinking and dealing economically. And I went to that core value of the show. It's a thing in the news, and that's a medium mind thing to talk about. It's an event, but what's going on behind it? I think we can pull a couple things out of there. One, I noticed as I was getting into the research and trying to figure out what, what I was looking at with non-fungible tokens, these NFTs online, is it has become a sub-genre of, or a subgroup on the internet. There's a small group of people that really are into it, and they get it, and they're finding some identity in being the chic and hip person that really does get it. And they can look at old guys like me and think that we're, uh, that, that we're out of the loop and, uh, and old fogies. It's that natural inclination of every heart to find some identity in something. And one of the th- identities we, t- we tend to have is something that makes us special. What's something that can make us special? And so as we start talking about NFTs as something to get into, let's guard our hearts against that because it's one of the many idols I saw practiced when you uh, out there trying to do this, this research that our, uh, what's that better term? Our inclusion or our citizenship, as it were, in any given group gives us too much meaning sometimes. That could be a Cowboys fan for me. I, th- I think it's in part what gothism was in high school for people. They were just finding their subgroup, where uh, whatever that is for you at, at work. So it's, it's a good reminder to be careful of not finding our identity in the subgroups that we create. Two, I think it's just another new way, NFTs are another new way to execute the problem the human heart already has when it comes to the accumulation of unique things for pride's sake. We accumulate, for some folks it's sneakers or basketball shoes. For some folks it's cars. Maybe it is art for some people. We accumulate things so as to signal to others something we want to be thought of about ourselves. So as we enter into this world where they become more ubiquitous, it's another thing to watch our own hearts on and to monitor and, and see if that's what's happening in the culture. Because very very few things are evil unto themselves or good unto themselves. A lot of tools and things we interact with in the world, they are uh, the, the way we use them is going to determine whether or not it is, it's, it's worthwhile or not. Three, I am confident, I'll ask him when we get there, but I'm confident that the Apostle Paul saw the invention and the widespread nature of the Roman road system as just a tool for the gospel. I'm sure the way he saw it, I'm confident, the way he saw it was, yes, these Roman emperors and all the wealth of this empire are building roads for trade. They're building roads for their military. They're, they're protecting trade routes on the seas for, for their trade and military, but the Lord is just using them to create new tools for the gospel to go out to more people more effectively, more quickly. I don't know yet what that looks like with blockchain, crypto, and NFT, but I know that this needs to be one of our instincts, that when new tools and new things come along, that our natural inclination is not skepticism or to demean, but to wonder, is this neutral tool, as long as the tool is neutral and, and not upholding or... Uh, not not founded in sinful sinful things, 
how can this be used for the furtherance of the whole purpose that I'm here? And then I thought of just two more practical, two more practical implications. This is more power for creators, not distributors. I mentioned earlier the the gatekeeping system that used to exist around art, but this is we still have people like Spotify and Apple there as the distributors. And I think I think I can be challenged on this, but a Christian worldview on economics would like to see as much as possible people dealing with people and not third-party institutions. Like you want to go get the thing you want from the person who made it. It in some ways embodies the it embodies the transaction. You know, we, we have these endless transactions going on all the time for our, our clothes and food and our trinkets and toys and our uh, all of our, our unique things that we go out there and get. For me, it's, it might be workout supplements. For you, it is whatever hobby you have and the money you spend. But all of those things that we buy, maybe not experiences, but all the actual material things we buy, some process of humans made them. And the process of the human that made it before it got to the shelf on Walmart and then got into your hand as you're in the checkout is so distant we can forget that human hands did a, a lot of these a lot of these things it's good to make the economic interaction more personable that they recently did an episode um, featuring a question from mine so I'm going I want to bring them up uh, Westminster Doxology podcast uh, Cody Fields makes pedals. If you're into guitars and stuff, you should go look at his pedals. I don't know how they all work, but the the idea of dealing with the guy who made the pedal and being able to exchange something for that good, one one person to one person, is so much better than going to a giant music store and looking at a wall of pedals that were made by probably some third world country hands. It's a different experience, not just experience for the user, but I'm saying, I think a biblical worldview economically would say the best interactions are the ones that happen closest to the person who did the work and the person who wants the the thing, the the trinket, the item, the widget, and is providing the, the, the trade, the currency, whatever it is for it. So it's more power for creators in that way, not needing the distributors. I think it's a healthier way to do economics. And then it is more power for citizens, the citizens of governments around the world. The idea that we can turn our dollars, pounds, sterlings, our Russian rubles, our, I wish I knew what Ukrainian money was called, uh, the, the euro, the fact that we can turn those into something digital outside of the banking system, this is good. This is good to empower the citizen and to keep honest the institutions like governments. You know, it hits me. This is the show I, I like to do. I know that my genre of talk all week long was about a Supreme Court hearing. There, there was things in the news, and those are all fine to talk about. We need, to know what's, we need to know what's going on. I do much prefer finding something odd in the world, something new, blockchain, cryptos, NFTs, and asking ourselves some questions about their implications and what, what it means in the in, in the long run. So thanks for doing that show with me. You guys are great to stick around for those types of discussions and not just needing to do whatever was in the news that week. This also made me think one more thing about the internet. 
the internet that we started with, which I think was was better than what we have now in a lot of ways. The internet we had was one where if you wanted something, you had to go get it. When I signed on to AOL when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, whatever it was, I was embarrassingly into the, uh, back then it was called the World Wrestling Federation. I think it's called World Wrestling Entertainment now. I guess I was probably 14. That was when I stopped being a fan of those things. And I had to go to that website. It didn't come to me. I had to go get it. When I wanted to know what the standings were in the NBA going into the playoff run, I had to go get it. If I wanted to know what moves the Dallas Cowboys were making in free agency, I had to go get it. And so I controlled my intake. Now, because we mostly interact with the internet through apps, we don't go get what we want. The app shows us what it thinks we want. And so when it comes to things like news consumption, you didn't tap your Facebook uh, app on your phone to get the news. But it's going to show you some news. It might show it to you from a perspective that you want to see, but it does control what you're going to ha- what you're going to interact with. You didn't tap your Twitter f- feed to hear some really troubling news from around the world, but you're going to if you're going to if you tap it cuz they give you what they think you you need to know and really what they think you'll react to the most and stay engaged with the most. Most. It, it is as if the social media companies are serving to us our entire diet. I think I just say this as a warning, and I give it often. Don't let them dominate you. Don't let Facebook, Twitter, Google, don't let them tell you what to think about, because they want to. They want to dominate your attention and your thought patterns. And especially from a Christian perspective where we renew, we have a renewed mind, we take captive each thought. With that being true of us, we've got to be the people that use the internet on purpose, not mindlessly. I think that's a tendency for all of us. It's a tendency for me sometimes. Just out of boredom, tap an app and say, I wonder what kind of entertainment this could give me. And scroll. I'm getting a lot better at it. I notice that about myself to fight the urge of thinking I'm bored. If when I'm waiting in line, I was recently waiting for, uh, was that a car wash? Yeah, I was getting my car detailed. And I was intent on this. Unless my phone rings or I get a text, I'm not looking at it. I'm just going to sit and think. I'm going to plan. I'm going to, in some version of prayer, pray but I'm not going to look at it. And admittedly, it was hard, but I, I, got, I got through it, didn't do it. Because what, what else would I have done with that time is I would hit an app and Twitter or Facebook or Instagram would have said, here's some things we think you should think and feel and you, you should dwell on. Well, I'm not going to let you guys tell me what to do. I'm not going to do that anymore. I've even made it a, trying to making a habit of not going to those apps, but instead going to Safari like if I mindlessly grab my phone, I'm trying to go to the browser because the browser will be blank and then I have to ask myself, why did I grab my phone again? Why is it in my hand? Why did I open it? Why did I use the face ID to unlock my phone? What, did I, what am I doing with this device? Because Safari then stares at you, your internet browser stares at you and says, 
what do you want to go do? And sometimes I realize, nothing. I don't want to do anything. I've just, I've allowed myself to be programmed to grab this thing and scroll when I don't know what else to do with my hands. And so I'm, I don't know where you are on that spectrum. I suspect I'm not unique. I suspect a lot of us how now have a natural tick, a natural instinct that when I'm not doing anything else, I might as well scroll something. And I'm telling you there's strategies like go to your Safari instead. You go to your device. You go to the internet and say, these are the things I want. Give me the things that I want, but I'm not letting you serve me up anything. I think I also recently gave you the advice. I wonder, I would love some emails on this, some social media uh, feedback on the notifications thing. I think we'd all be better. I think we'll be smarter, better thinkers, happier people if we go turn off all our notifications. Unless I get a call or text, my phone indicates nothing to me. And I was recently just around a lot of people with a lot of phones out and just saw how many notifications were loaded up on people's home screens. And it gave me something of like a nervous tick to see that many notifications, that many things saying, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. Where at any given time, all I have on my home screen is the 15 unresponded to texts that I need to get to at some point. So that's it. Just wanted to say, maybe say it this way. Use the internet on purpose. Don't let it use you. I think I'm going to take an early break. And then when we come back, I have these stories for you. The, the There's a great story from a University of North Carolina female basketball player who quit the team for her own Christian witness. It was a hard thing to do. I want you to hear some of her story. And then... Uh, I had a conversation here recently about some financial literacy things. So I want to bust some myths related to a recent conversation I had personally and also something I think we covered on the show. We'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. I mean it this time. This is my last internet-related thought of the day. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you listen to podcasts and right here on his radio talk. Glad you're here. You can reach the show at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. I saw a story in the Cleveland Clinic's publication because it was linked on some news website I went to. And the question being posited was are, are young girls, teen girls specifically, is there an increase in Tourette syndrome? for young ladies because there has been a, a market increase in parents and girls going to doctors, hospitals, and clinics saying she has now a unexplained, previously absent tick of some sort, body, hand motion, or a certain phrase or a word, she says. And so there was a lot of work done, research to find out if these were actual brain disorders, Tourette syndrome, but as doctors began to look into it and found that it was the same in the English-speaking world all across the world with these inquiries, but there was no actual increase in rate of Tourette's, they concluded that it was TikTok, that certain TikTok dances, hand motions, phrases from popular videos and trends were getting so embedded in girls' brains that... They just couldn't stop doing them throughout the day. 
Couldn't stop just shouting out that phrase. Couldn't stop doing that hand motion or that dance thing. I just I said to you a minute ago before we went to the break, like go to the internet on purpose, as we should be doing all things. Go do stuff on purpose. We have an issue where our kids are not capable and prepared to to do that on their own, and we have to do that for them when they're young, and carefully monitor their use because guys, very powerful companies are rewiring their brains. I don't I don't even don't even think they mean to do it. But it's one of the things that's happening when we just let the internet come to us with this content instead of us going to it and getting it, and, well, getting what we need and using it as a tool. All right, I told you. That's the last one. Last internet-related story of the day. I saw on the Gospel Coalition website, uh, I think the title was Choosing Jesus Over College Basketball. And I, I was immediately intrigued. I'm, I am always intrigued by... Stories of people who have not theoretically hard decisions to make, but real life, life changing hard decisions, and they decide to stick with what is right over what is easy. This young lady's name, I believe, last name was Church, which is ironic, Leah, Leah Church. She was at University of North Carolina, I believe, starting in 2018 or 19, and she was a contributor on the basketball team. Consider that. I mean, that's a premier uh, program in college basketball for for women. They play in Carmichael Arena. That's the old old stadium where Michael Jordan would have played in his, his basketball days there at UNC. And it was her dream. All she ever wanted growing up was just to play for the UNC Tar Heels. And she got two years into her basketball career there. And then there was a coach switch out and a new coach came in. I am going to read to you now from the story. The first month or two with the new coaching staff were fine, but as time went on, things became more difficult. This is her talking. I started seeing that there were expectations for me to participate in the party lifestyle and condone things that didn't line up with my biblical beliefs. I choose not to drink, I choose to save myself from marriage, and I said no to a lot of things, which made it very hard to bond with my team. There was only one other Christian girl on the team. She quit. I felt super lonely. I always felt like I was singled out for my beliefs, which led to degradation. Not, no, no longer quoting. She decides to quit. She's, it's just too much to be in that, to, to be in that, in that atmosphere. And then, where did it go? Uh, then the final straw appears was the co- this new coach came in with some standards on how these girls were going to support certain organizations and movements, things they would need to wear in pregame warm-ups. And for this young lady, Leah Church, these are these were organizations and movements that she just does not support and can't do it biblically. And so gave up a scholarship position on a basketball team and one of the most premier on one of the most premier basketball programs in the country. That takes a lot of fortitude. You know, I, I thought about, thought about that. I'm not part of anything that could go South. It feels like Beachwood, North Greenville, rock solid. But what do you, what do you do? when something you're a part of under one set of circumstances, one, uh, one rubric of standards changes fundamentally and your association with it starts to challenge your conscience. 
the easy thing to do is sear your conscience, quiet it down, and just go with the flow so you can live your life. And I just highly, rec- I highly value people that don't do that and choose to do the right thing. She, when she was asked at the end of this interview, what, what would you tell somebody who is working in an environment where that's how it feels right now. It feels like they're, they are being, uh, the people around them are antagonistic. They don't think they're weird. They think they're bad. They're being asked to be involved in things that violate their conscience. I loved her answer. She's got a lot of wisdom for a young lady. She said, you have to be, you have to be rooted before the time comes. You have to have already clarified to yourself, what are my standards? What, what will I do and what won't I do regarding work, regarding my associations? And if you'll know that before it happens, if you'll be rooted in the scriptures before it happens, you'll be ready. And I think that's an important lesson for us. To actually tur- turn off the, the, the podcasts and the music and the radio and ask ourselves at some point, what are my non-negotiable values? I had a conversation with a friend recently who does work out in the, the secular world. Doesn't have to, I, I don't have to put up with the things he has to put up with. But he, they were asked. No, Not everyone acquiesced, but they, they were asked for Pride Month last year, LGBTQIA+, Pride Month last year, for everyone to put pronouns in their email signature. So you'd be Corey Truax, and then the pronouns that go with your typical dude, and he, he didn't want to do it. He didn't do it. Several several didn't. But there were social costs to that. And I, I would, you know, being me, I'm the jerk that would say, Corey Truax, I deny the premise that anyone can have their own pronouns. That will be right under my, my name on the email. But that, that, that affected his conscience, and he, he had to make a decision. And we, we will maybe never know. The, the folks who got emails from him that are his higher-ups that have to make decisions about jobs later, did that affect him negatively? We don't, we don't actually know. But that's a scenario every believer is going to have to think through, probably, or something like it. I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't have put pronouns next to my name. There's the question of, as this transgender thing grows, if you're going to call somebody you work with by their biological pronouns or the ones they prefer. I... I recently saw a story because I'm in an Allie Beth Stuckey phase right now. I just cycled out of some other commentators. I do it in like two-month intervals. And there's a thing happening right now at her media company called The Blaze where the the Blaze house is about 20 different conservative-ish commentators. One of them is Dave Rubin, who is a homosexual guy who says he's in a marriage. He's in a government marriage. And he's more libertarian. He came out of liberalism into libertarianism. And he and his partner are, are using surrogacy to have, I think, twins. And this presumably conservative network, The Blaze, owned by the Mormon Glenn Beck, put out a big congr- congratulations to their you know, the broadcaster that he was, quote, having kids. And he was getting plaudits and congratulations from other hosts. But Ali Beth Stuckey, a reformed, devout believer, didn't just stay silent. She actually specifically said, I, I can't congratulate this, and gave a very well-reasoned, calm, compassionate response on her own show just to say, kids need a mom and a dad. And I don't affirm that marriage is just your love story. It, 
it's this permanent picture of Christ in the church. And that can only be illustrated with a man and a woman. And I, I love, she was so nice. I love Dave Rubin. And one of the ways I'm going to show him that I love him is I'm not going to affirm this. Well, that's, that's hard stuff to do with a coworker that works down the hall from you. I'm, I'm assuming. But that's the stuff that we're, we're going to have to prepare ourselves for and asking ourselves, well, what is the, what's the line for me? I had a conversation years ago with somebody who worked for, I, I think it was Home Depot maybe. And Home Depot was spending a lot of money um, advertising on shows that this person found very questionable, or, or excuse me, objectionable. A lot of bad content. And I, I told him at the time, that doesn't affect my conscience at all, that I would work at a place that advertises on shows with racy content. But his conscience was very, uh, it was very sensitive to it. And it's important, don't, don't violate your own conscience. I just think I look at this Leah Church lady, young lady and see someone who saw that their Christian faith could no longer cohabitate in the space where she was having this incredible experience and great privilege, and she gave it up to be true to her standards. It's something to marvel at and to admire and then start preparing ourselves on what we are willing to walk away from to be true to the values that we have. And hopefully those are biblical values. That's, of course, how where, where this show comes from. Uh, let's do two or three more of these. There is a new disorder in the DSM. The DSM is called, uh, the DSM is an acronym for the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. It is what psychi- psychiatrists Psych- yeah, psychiatrists, and I don't I think therapists use it, but use it differently. This is the manual, the document they use to uh, to per- well to de- make a diagnosis on somebody for a mental health issue, and then that DSM will prescribe certain treatments. And we discovered a brand new di- a, a brand new mental disorder to put into the DSM, and it's called prolonged grief disorder. And they are defining prolonged grief disorder as a grief over a loss or an event that lasts inordinately long. And there's debate about it. So the reason I came across it is I listen to a lot of smart people podcasts because I try to get smarter. And there's a debate. There was plenty of mental health professionals who said this should not be there's in, in, the, in the DSM. It's, we're not ready to declare it a, a mental health issue. And then a whole other group just on the other side having that debate. And it reminded me one of my issues with the mental health field. Let me be, care- let me be careful. I'm a, I'm a believer in the mental health field. I think it's really, really important. I think we're about as mentally sick as a people as we've been in a long time. We're emotionally unhealthy. And just like human body medicine is the Lord's, And humans have cultivated human body medicine and have come up with treatments and best practices for human body health. I I think a lot of folks have done some real scientific work and come up with health of the emotions, health of the mind, and some best practices for that. It is, of course, always going to be incomplete because it's not just our body. Our emotions and our minds, by nature, are spiritual as well. 
And so if you're not getting a holistic biblical view of your mind and your emotions, then mental health care that is secular can be very helpful and a necessity. But it's always going to be missing something. And, and I, I, this is brought back up to me thinking about this idea of having a disorder in the mental health field that some people inside the mental health field say, mental health field say that's not even a disorder. Well, so I got one group diagnosing people with it, treating them for it with drugs, and a whole other group of people saying it's not even, it's not even a thing. It just comes with this fun, some fundamental questions I have. For example, how do I know that my grief is, is disordered in a, uh, when, it, when it comes to how long I've had it? Losing a spouse to death. At what point do you know you've grieved too long? Your level of grief and how it's affected your life, it's gone on too long, and so you shouldn't grieve like that anymore. Here's some medicine to help you stop grieving. How did you decide that? It's quite arbitrary. I thought about that with how we handle ADD. I'm sure it's real. I'm not, I'm not one of those folks that thinks it's not a real issue. It's, I'm convinced it's, it's very real. But attention spans are various from human to human. I can focus for a long time. My nephew, Kobe, he cannot. But how do we know how many minutes of attention span are appropriate for any given person and then say, all right, you've fallen out of this range for your age group and demographic, and so now we think we should give you some drugs? I don't, it, just, it, it, is, it is less solidly scientific than body medicine, and it's it makes me uncomfortable with some of the diagnoses. Like, I even think of depression. A very real, very real disorder. Don't hear me telling you to stop taking medicines and say it's not real. I am just asking, how do we decide what intensity of despair needed to be treated? Like, if super de-duper sad was a 10, and I feel nothing at all is a 0, or maybe happiness is a 0, I don't know. What number on the scale do you become needing medicine? What level of anxiety is disordered? And that's all I, I, I know a lot of smart people have thought about this. I am just saying it's, it's how the, the social sciences are called soft sciences. Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory usually makes fun of them the best. It is some sort of science. It's just not the same way that we think about that word. Like Whereas, like I can tell you what a, who a diabetic is. I, I can... Well, I can't do it, but their blood can be drawn. We can test their levels of insulin and I think some other things and tell that person's diabetic. Solved it. But I, I don't have those ranges for despair, depression, attention span, grief. So it just makes it harder for me. And I'm not calling it skepticism. I get too much hate for these things. I'm not skeptical. I'm just saying I know it's a field that is incomplete, that it doesn't have all that it needs. I'll finish on this one. I recently had a discussion with somebody who was a big Dave Ramsey person. And I've mentioned before, I don't like that guy. Dispositionally, he's just not my kind of person. And I, I'm actually starting to think a lot of the financial stuff is not a great idea. Because they're, they're, this person's opinion 
was the pinnacle for them is saving money. When we have paid everything off and we can just save, 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 that's how we'll know we've we've made it. You know, we're out of debt and saving. Right? Yeah, laudable. Laudable thing. Especially in a different world. I, I feel like Dave hasn't come, has not lived past 2008 when we dropped when we dropped interest rates to basically nothing and there's literally no reason to save money anymore. Like, I, I remember a time you could put $1,000 away in a CD and six months later you'd have $1,050. And then you could take that $1,050 and put it into a certificate deposit and six months later you get a 5% return on that. You put $1,000 in a CD now and it comes back with a, I think, it's like $1,000.50. Well, saving money seems like a terrible idea right now. Investing money seems like a pretty cool idea. It is almost as if some people who are quite powerful and influential decided to make all the incentive structures be, uh, don't save. All the incentive structures say either buy stuff or invest it, get it in the market or purchase things and grow the economy. And of course, that's what the Federal Reserve did starting in 08. And it just made, it made me think this, you know, we talk often in conservative circles about how like in high schools, we need financial literacy courses. And we do. We need people to be financially literate, know how to budget the consequences of their, uh, and know the consequences of their actions, how interest rates work. Yes, we need all that. But a lot of the folks that advocate it, I think are living and working in and would be teaching from a world that doesn't exist anymore financially, at least when it comes to saving versus investing versus buying. It's, just, it's, it's a perverse incentive. It's not good that there's no incentive to save anymore. It's, it's just true. All right, we've run all out of time. If you have any feedback, I'd love to have it. It's CoreyTruactShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruactShow at gmail.com. I'm grateful for the listen, everybody. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week, wherever you listen to podcasts and right here on His Radio Talk. Until then, everybody, peace and love.